Uh, yeah. Hello, everyone. Uh, before I even start the preamble and the proper entry, uh, Izzy and I are both suffering from allergies this recording. We. So if I sound nasally, that's why. And I will try to edit out as many sniffles, coughs, and sneezes as I can. But by God, we want to get this book done because once this book is done, we can take like a two or three week break. So. We can take a break, like a proper break where we're not sitting here like we need to finish this book. Yeah. And like, I, I will say I'm not going into this like in a bad attitude. I'm going into it in a good attitude. But before we get any further into a tangent, before we even start our intro, hello and welcome to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian going over the series to see what age like fine strawberry wine and what age like milk. I'm Kit. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Izzy. I use she, her pronouns. You can find us and content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall-related things at Abbey Archives on Tumblr and Reddit. Uh, we don't need this Animorph end of series spoiler warning anymore. Uh, <laughs> I instead, it might be... Instead, it might be uh, Tears of the Kingdom spoilers. I haven't played, so I don't care. But if other people do, but I do want to say this really quick. I, in the time between our last recording and this one, have joined a podcast book club server on Discord and have uh, potentially convinced multiple people to start listening to this podcast. So, you know. Hi, everybody. I'm already in too many uh, Discord servers (laughs) as is. So Izzy's going to be our representative. Yeah, have fun, guys. I actually have an interview uh, as of this recording. I have an interview with Ooh. one of the people in the server tomorrow because they've started. They've they're doing these things like uh, uh, coffee shop chats Ooh, with like uh, creators, and I'm the mm-hmm. first one that they're interviewing because I was the first one who agreed. Nice. <laughs> I'm excited. A lot of people have asked some really good questions. And while we're on the subject of other podcasts, Izzy has released two of Seer uh, SCP podcasts so far. Yeah. And they are quite enjoyable. The fact that you went with like the the just another killing machine one right off the bat. It's like, ah, uh, you went for the throat, didn't you? Just another murder monster. That one always and makes me so evil. They're my favorite. I one of my favorites. Just another murder monster is so good. And then the ne- the second one I did is is an inside joke. Yep. <laughs> we love gamers against weed articles, but holy shit, reading their <laughs> chat logs is the worst. <laughs> Um, what is the next one I have posting? Let me check and see which one I have posting next. So while Izzy's looking that up, uh, content warnings for this episode are slavery, bodily (laughs) harm, death, warfare and siege warfare, sanism, uh, faint, faint tribal stereotypes, and trauma over the loss of a loved one. I found what the next one is, and it's going to come out, I think. No, it's not going to come out before this comes out. So people who listen to our podcast will get a sneak peek at what the next SCP episode is going to be. It's SCP-346, Terry the Pterodactyl. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Oboe, for recommending all the good dinosaur ones. (laughs) So Martin wakes early that dawn in Noonvale. The peaceful surroundings are off to him. Still, he finds himself soaking it up, appreciating their value. Like, this poor boy is not used to being in a peaceful environment. He, he super is not, because his, the, where he came from before was a warrior culture. Mm-hmm. On a beach, like, On a right beach that had to deal with sea rats and other things. 
and then he was a slave and then he's just been fighting and running for so long like mm-hmm. this this level of like peace and and like serenity is is alien to him and it's interesting to see how how like having read like we've read Mossflower already yeah. so seeing how he was before and how that basically how this book we've said it in the previous recordings but how this book kind of like influences that book despite the fact that this book was written after that one mm-hmm. Brian does is... a good job of tying some of the elements yeah. in yeah. yeah like brian does a really really good job at showing and not telling but showing us yeah why martin is the way he is in moss flower yeah it's really well done and honestly throughout the entirety of this like last bit of the book uh is when we really get some of the really good martin things that make him how he is and I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> Cuz we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Arya is the first to find him and comments on him being an early riser. He confesses that he does not sleep easily. She says she was up to send Boldred out to find Brome. With the task done, she asks Martin why he seems unhappy. He knows Noonvale is a pretty place, but he has to return to Marshank to fight. Arya knows this too. Her one fear is that her daughter will go with him, no matter what she and her husband say to her. Uh. He promises he will protect Rose more than he would protect his own life. Uh. And I I like this scene because here we're seeing Martin suffering that temptation. It's that temptation of you can stay. You can have peace. You can hide here. You don't have to go out and fight anymore you can just stay and be peaceful and you don't have to be a warrior this could be your life this could be where you live and be happy and joyful it's it's a temptation a lot of them a lot of them get yeah but he knows that he can't because he has like an obligation he has the he 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 sees it as his duty it's not an obligation it's his duty Mm -hmm. to go and free people from marshank to go and like kill badrang to Mm -hmm. to keep this evil from infecting the rest of the world so that places like this can stay like even if he hasn't said that yet in this bit of the book like he intrinsically knows that he can't stay here Right. And it it makes you think of, you know, since we were talking about the Mandalorian last time we recorded, but like in season like one of the Mandalorian, Din has that temptation. He has the kid. He finds this idyllic, quiet life. They're like, you could stay here with us. Like, you don't have to go and fight anymore. And he like, if he does stay, he could also protect them. And he has that temptation. But he knows what he is. He is a Mandalore. He is a fighter. He can't just up and leave what he knows. So he leaves. You know, regretfully, but he leaves. Mm-hmm. Okay. They have a delicious breakfast of pancakes and soup. The soup almost being ruined by an excitable young mole named Bungo. But Grum salvages the situation and the food is a big hit. Like... Poor Grum he makes like, a second soup. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, you need to stop stirring so fast. And Bungo's like, I'll show you how to make soup. Stirs faster. It makes you think of um, 
For those of us the 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 those of us who uh, remember Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald uh, before the remakes ruined the best parts of it. Poffin making, Poffin God. making it. No, not Poffin. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of um, Pokeblocks. No, Poffin making was in. I'm a fake fan. Gen five, <laughs> and in Gen five you had to stir it. But if you stirred it too fast, it would splash. If you stirred it too slow, it would burn. What the hell were Poffins? We don't know. Um, after soup. breakfast, ugh, solidified soup. soup. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's from Pokemon. We don't have to worry about it. Um, <laughs> Nutrient paste. <laughs> Actually, it's not wrong. <laughs> after breakfast, Rose shows Martin around some orchards. They come across Grum and the other Noonvale moles who are digging around the base of an old dead sycamore to topple it and turn it into seats. And I like Grum's like, I'm not even here a day and I'm back to work. <laughs> the sycamore stands strong, held up by a strong taproot, even in death. Martin has an idea, calling for a strong log, and goes in with a hand axe to chop at the root. With the aid of a rowan trunk and the good majority of Noonvale creatures, they manage to use it as a lever to topple the sycamore. It's a very cute scene, too, with like everyone it's, piled it's on top. It's well described, yeah. Yeah. It's and Martin is so smart in this. Like that's the thing that we see with Martin pretty frequently is that he thinks of things that other people don't. And it's it's brought up uh, later that like they've been trying for literal years to topple this dead sycamore. Yeah. And Martin comes in and does it in a day. Yeah. To be fair, the moles had already done most of the work. They just needed yeah. that. Like sometimes you get so stuck on a problem you can't see the obvious solution. And you yeah. need that outsider to come in and go, hey, what if you just did blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, oh, my God, you're right. Like, this the isn't the moles being it's... stupid. This is just no. the outsider pointing out the obvious. The way that I read it is that it's like maybe every year the moles like dug out around it. And that's just kind of like they figured that out at some point, And they're like, OK, we know that this helps, but we still haven't toppled it yet. Yeah, because like they probably hadn't even gotten to the taproot, depending on how big this tree was. Yeah, um, and apparently it's a very deep, thick taproot, mm -hmm. uh, which happens with old trees, especially with sycamores. Mm -hmm. um, they can get massive and they can stay deep. So an impromptu picnic sprouts up around the fallen trunk with the moles with the moles sharing their signature dish of deeper than ever turnip and tater pie, along with uh, the ditty. I want some so bad. <laughs> Along with a ditty about the delicious dish. And would you like to read that for us, Izzy? Oh, let me get the book. I didn't have the book. So that's why I give you the pages. I know. I Izzy, know. how could let you do this to me? Pages. I didn't have the book open. Could you do this? Okay. Izzy! Izzy! Ah! Ah! Listen, for <laughs> once we have the same book, so you know. It's so nice. It's so nice. We don't have to guess. All right. Give we give you give give them and give oi turnip and tighter and beetroot pie, girt platters each morning and more at night. Fill oi a boil, fill oi a bowl full. It tasters just right, and if any infant wakes starting to cry, feed him turnip and tighter and beetroot pie. It's good for your stomach. It's good for your jaws. Makes them grow up with big strong digging claws. Not gives us molars more pleasure and joy than turnip and tighter and deep root. Uh, Beetroot pie. 
I almost said deep root. That's not from this. That's, <laughs> that's like, I think that's Dragon Age. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a good ditty. The moles make is. good ditties. It's after all are content with the meal that Bolger drops from the sky with her news. And like, as the same time this is happening... Cut to... <laughs> cut to Feldo, who is followed by the three suspicious friends. He's cocky, almost jovial now, with his javelins and sling. If he can just kill Badrang, Marshake will crumble. He doesn't need an army. He alone is enough. And let me tell you, in any piece of media, in any piece of media, when a warrior who has been doing a good job so far becomes cocky like this, you know that bitch is gonna die. Oh, yeah. Like, the red flags were everywhere for this. Like, Feldo started doing the thing where he was going by himself to fuck with Badrang in our last recording. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh, he's gonna die. And then it's like, oh, he's super gonna die. Spoiler alert, everybody. He (laughs) dies. (laughs) But, like, it's like he's he's boomeranged so far around from, like, he was so deep in anger and hangred... Anger and hangred... (laughs) Anger and hatred... Hanger that he's come hatred. out to the other side into overconfidence. Like, he doesn't he doesn't care anymore. He doesn't no. care what happens to him. He doesn't care if he lives or dies. Yeah. His only priority is to get rid of Bad Ring. Or yep. at least make it so that Bad Ring cannot hurt anyone else. And at Marshank, the Horde Beasts slip out carefully to set their own traps finding hiding spots and digging half-didden ditches to crouch in to await the next attack. Badrang is done cowering and will use his resources to set his own counterattack. And I like this. I like this setup because it makes sense. Badrang has learned how to be an on-lands defender, and he is using his knowledge. It, it's good. I it's... feel like with Clog being there, there was a little bit of Badrang kind of falling into, like, his old habit of, like, how he did things. Mm-hmm. And now that he's, like, forcibly assigned Clog to not do this shit, he's able to better, like, be what he he feels he needs to be uh, in Marshank, which is a, a warlord. Exactly. So... Especially because his men have started, like, just kind of mocking him a little bit. Just a bit, yeah. And not not necessarily his men, but Clog's men especially. Yeah. Like, we work for you now, that doesn't mean we have to like you. We don't have to respect you. Uh, we just work for you because we know that we're less likely to die. Uh, but, yeah. like, we respect Clog. <laughs> yeah. Just as they finish setting up, Bog spots Feldo coming and calls out a quiet alarm. Badring sets up his beasts and posts himself at the top of the wall as bait. And Feldo falls for it. He's too caught up in hatred at seeing Badring to notice the obvious signs of vermin around him. He rushes forward to attack. The three friends on a cliffside are horrified, seeing Feldo dash up to the forest in broad daylight. Or the fortress. That was that was a Google autocorrect. Seeing Feldo dash up to the fortress in broad daylight. All three know something awful is going to happen, be it Feldo's death or something else. Brome offers to go back to camp to get help, but Kayla hotfoots it towards the camp instead, since he's fastest. 
He's the fastest. He goes zoom. He goes nyum. Nyum. Feldo slings javelin after javelin at Badring, who dodges them with ease and contempt. He mocks Feldo, who rages and challenges Badring to a fight. Badring says he's no fool. No doubt Feldo has a trap laid out, coward that he and his friends are. Feldo counters, saying it was only him the night before, no one else. Not like Badrang cowering behind his horde. And this is this is where we get some more of like this is this is Feldo allowing his hatred for Badrang to to kind of cloud what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Because he 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 could absolutely have gone with this, but he wants so desperately to kill Badrang that he's willing to to put himself in danger for this. He on some level he knows what he's doing, but on another level it's like obviously I'll win. Mm-hmm. Um He has the confidence of the righteous. Confidence mm-hmm. of the righteous. And the confidence of the righteous is not the smarts of the righteous. No. <laughs> the righteous get pretty speeches and pretty graves. With the tables turned on him, Badrang has to accept the challenge to combat. He's sure he can win, armed with his sword and fellow only having javelins. On the clifftops, Brom and Tulgrew watch in fascinated horror as Badrang emerges to fight, Brom wishing deeply he had the courage to stand behind Feldo and fight with him. Or beside Feldo and fight with him. The fight is Feldo quick. would not have let him. <laughs> no, Feldo would have been like, you are a healer, go back and help. It, mm-hmm. Oh, you know what it makes you think of? The scene in Full Metal Alchemist when Winry is about to shoot Scar, but then Ed just Ooh, covers her hands yeah. and says, these are not the hands of a killer. These are the hands, like your hands are made to bring life and save life, not take life. Mm-hmm. Listen, to say that scene impacted me in a way would be an understatement. <laughs> Go read Full Metal Alchemist, y'all. It's probably one of the best stories of our generation, and I am not exaggerating that. And even if um, you don't read it, please watch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Yes. Like, if you're not going to read it, watch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. It is so good because she, the, she understood what she was doing. She sure did. She knew. She understood. And it's just like, damn. Yeah. Also, I'm really sorry. Now we're on the Full Metal Alchemist. One small side tangent. Um, her new series is finally getting an, Eng- an official English translation. I kind of hate the name they chose for it, but... It's still, like, I finally get to officially buy a new manga of hers that was written by her that she didn't just illustrate. And I'm exciting it very much. Uh, exciting it. I'm liking it very much because guess what it involves? It involves twin siblings who are trying to find their parents in a world of magic. Oh, she can write one thing. But she <laughs> but writes, she it, writes so well. it so well. Okay, that's not even a fair comparison, though. Like, on the very bare surface level, you can see the similarities. But, oh, man, once you get into the meat of it, this is a completely different dish, and I am loving it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, Asa is my wife. I love her. She is so good. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, and I say that goofily because she's, like, what, fucking like 17 years old or something. I don't know. Um, I say wife in the loosest sense. Uh, okay. The fight is quick and brutal. Badrang going for force, Feldo going for speed. Feldo gets the upper hand in the end with his superior agility, but instead of ending Badrang, he beats him, as Badrang used to beat his slaves. On the clifftop, 
Tolgrud cheers him on because he is like it laying is into bad so, rain. So so good. It's brutal. It is very brutal and very good. Like, do you want to read that scene or? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. All right. Do you want me to start from? Do do we want to start from like Badring leaped at Feldo and just read the all of it, or start uh, from uh, Thwack the wooden thwack. haft struck? Okay, Thwack the wooden haft struck the sword into the air. It curved in a shining arc, landing point down in the sand as Badring's right paw fell numbly to his side. Holding the javelin in both paws like a quarter stave, Feldo knocked his enemy flat on the shore. Ignoring his injured footpaw, the squirrel raised the javelin. He brought it down with punishing force. Tolgrud clapped a paw across her eyes. Has he killed him? I can't look. Is Badring slain? Brome shook his head in astonishment. No. Feldo is beating him with the javelin as if it were a rod. Tolgrud uncovered her eyes, smiling with grim satisfaction. Aye, just as he used to have slaves beaten. Lay it on, Feldo. Badring tried to curl up into a ball, yelping as he rolled around on the, uh, <laughs> load. hold on. Okay. <laughs> There's a typo here. <laughs> There's a typo in the book. Oh. Uh, yelping as he rolled about on the ground. Oh, yeah. Uh, the javelin rose and fell across his back, each stroke punctuated by Feldo's harsh shouts. How does it feel to be beaten like a slave, oh mighty one? Feel this. And this. You had me beaten when I was little more than an infant. My father was beaten with the rod because he was old and slow. You never made me cry out. Why are you wailing? Can't you take your own medicine? Tolgru covered her eyes again, but Brom watched in horrified fascination. He's going to beat Badrang to death. I can hear him yelling from here. But the tyrant was not crying out needlessly. Marshank! 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 Which was the thing that he was like, if, when I call Marshank, you all come and, like, fucking attack. Yeah, spring the trap, basically. But yeah, so, like, Tolgru realizes that Feldo intended to beat the tyrant to death, and Badring calls out the word to trigger the trap. Um, but, like, this is, like, it's a mix of, like, the revenge is bad trope, but it's also more than that. Because on the revenge is bad side... Feldo could have ended this. He could have ended this if he just ran Badrang through just one quick stab to, th stab to the heart or the throat or anywhere. It would have been mm -hmm. over. They would have won and a lot of what happens next would not have to occur. It could have ended right here, right now. But Feldo is so deeply caught in his wrath and his anger and his pain that he can't do that. He can't give Badring the mercy of a swift death. He can't give himself the mercy of ending it. Because yeah. sometimes, like, sometimes killing that thing that hurts you swiftly is the best way to do it. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid. It hurts like hell. It's awful, but it's over. It's done. It can heal now. Feldo can't do that. He's too wounded, too angry to let it go. Mm-hmm. And that's why tragedies happen, because if he'd ended Bad Rang here, we would not have had the tragedy that occurs later in the book. Mm -hmm. Now, again, of course, as they say later in the book, 
none of this is really all their fault. Badring is the one who set all these events into motion, but they still made their choices and their actions are still their actions. Yep. So in Noonvale, Mildred reports on what she'd seen. She's spoken to the free slaves and the Rosset players, and she knows that Feldo's plan to... And she knows of Feldo's plan to attack Marshank, and how the combined group was going to rush to save Feldo and take down Marshank if they could. Baldred doesn't think they stand much of a chance. Martin leaps to his feet, saying he must go now to help them. Baldred says that Barkjohn knew Martin would act so, and he has a request. Travel fast and bring as much help as he can. Rose, Grum, and Palum, of course, are going with Martin. The baby mole Bongo tries to go too, but Grum turns him away. <laughs> this I... little baby mole is so ready to, like, do a murder. I half expected him to sneak onto, like, one of the boats. Like, I legitimately expected this little guy to show up at the battle. Because that's what we've had happen in the past couple mm-hmm. of books, where, like, the little ones are just kind of show up. Yeah. Uh, especially in Mariel, when a baby mole just kind of, you know, comes along. And it's like, oh, oh, buddy. And him and his buddies do several murders. Uh, <laughs> but no, we don't get that this book. Uh, yeah. Bungo does not show up. Martin, The has, baby is safe. Yes, the baby is safe. Um, there's no child death in this book, not directly. Um, Brian's... If there is, we don't see it. Yeah, Brian is generally pretty good about that because, you know, if you're writing a book for kids, having a kid die is pretty, pretty heavy. Um, yeah. Martin asks if anyone else will join them. Sixteen step forward. Uranvo apologizes. They are not a warlike group, but the ones who go with him will do their all to help. The fact that th- that those sixteen do step forward shows a courage because they know, even if they are not warlike, they have to know, especially because they're all adults, they have to know... Right what it involves like what they are agreeing to go do yeah they know they could die so these 16 who do step forward i desperately wish we had gotten like their names like who they were i know that it would have like lengthened the book so much more but it's it's one of those like really small things and i'm just like i would like to know who these creatures are we, we do know that it was like the quartet of tumbling otters, like the acrobat otters do join. Yeah. Um, let's see. Baldred steps up then, tutting the hastiness of young creatures. Martin asks, her to de- Martin asks her to explain, but she deflects. First things first, they need to get Martin and company to Marshank as fast as possible. And she's the best route and map maker of the area after all. It's so good. I love Baldred in this this next like bit. Yeah. When they're traveling back, she's so good, cause like she took a while to get back. Is the thing like that's a thing that was brought up is like she took a while to get back, and she was like, oh, I had to do some things. Yeah, and like I will say, like this is not Brian's best book when it comes to like just pulling out a plot point when he needs it, but the mm-hmm. setup for this particular thing, cause I was thinking the whole time. How in the hell are they going to get back in time when it took them like three days to get here? And, well, Brian thought of that. He thought of that, set it up, and executed it in a very effective manner. Super Um, good. Yeah. 
she shows them how they'd taken the long way around to Noonville. They can use the Broadstream to travel at a much greater speed on the way back. Yeah, and she points out what we had pointed out before, which is like, oh, they they were like all the way the fuck here. Uh-huh. So they had to go all the way around. And it's like, yeah, no, it's just like you could just get kind of just take the broad stream all the way down and you're good. <laughs> I feel like there should be a, another sh- like river shanty about taking the broad stream. Like, I feel like there's one right on the tip of my tongue there. Um, <laughs> M- Martin returns to Rose's home. She and her parents have made up some food sacks. She solemnly gives Martin back the shrew sword, and he declares himself ready to go. I still, I, I still dislike that little bit earlier in the book where Rose just like has a sudden change of personality for a hot minute, but now she's back to being like the good Rose, the Rose that we like. Well, I do think that some of it is being back home and kind of having that like she's been through so much and so she has this bit of relief where she can just be relaxed yeah and yeah it's a little weird but it's also like you know trauma have you ever had that time where like you've been away from home for a while and then you get home and you're able to just kind of not be a real person for a minute yeah (laughs) you know it's 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 a weird thing that we do as like sapient creatures where like we get into a comfortable space and we don't have to put on like ways to act or we don't have to be a certain way for people we just you know oh these people who take care of me are here i can just kind of exist and i don't need to try because what rose has done throughout a lot of this book is take care of everybody else right right and now she can be taken care of yeah so her acting kind of like a a a bit of a a a a young girl makes sense like it, it feels weird but that's just because we're not young girls anymore yeah like, we're young, but we're not, like, late teens, early 20s. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We skip to the brave charge of the Fern Freedom Fighters. Roanoke is pulling the cart at full speed, the rest either riding or racing alongside her. They're just fucking going. Like, Keela got them and they're... Zoom. <laughs> they do not make it in time to save Feldo, who dies with a peaceful smile under the pile of horde beasts that he has slain. Rome dashes towards Feldo as a shaken and cowed battering limps into Marshank. And like, not to say that I didn't see this coming, but I like that Brian wrote it as Feldo is content. He he has done what he can because like the, his whole story is so tragic. His entire life was stolen from him by battering from his body to his heart. And, like, from a toddler to now, his entire life was ruled by a bad ring until the very end here where he gave back to bad ring everything that bad ring had done to him. In that one moment of savage brutality, he was able to get that out of him. Like, you don't... I'm better than you. I'm stronger than you. I am the righteous creature. So now, even though he's died, he knows that his cause was a good one, a right one, And even if the way he went about it was completely wrong, he has still helped. He has helped his people and he has struck back. And he has put the fear of God into bad ranks. Quite literally, as we see later. (laughs) Um, Like, uh, the way that, like, uh, the way you wrote it in the document 
uh, is very good, but I feel like it doesn't quite get the impact of reading uh, uh, this bit about Feldo. Uh, but Feldo did not hear his young companion. He lay with a calm smile on his face, surrounded by a score of slain horde beasts who had died trying to defeat him. Like, he fucking goes down fighting. He goes down like a badger. He does go down like a badger. Yep. The Karkara... absolutely ferocious squirrel. I'm so glad we get to see more, like, warrior squirrels moving mm-hmm. forward. Like, not just, like, badgers, mice, or otters. We start to see some of the other animals get time mm-hmm. in the limelight as well. Because mm-hmm. um, otters get to be fierce warriors, too. Um, yeah. The cart arrives, outpacing Brome and quickly skewing to the side to, prov- to provide a barrier to the hail of arrows coming from Marshank's wall tops. While Ro- excuse me. Okay. While Roanoke and Balog get the fives organized in quick step, Brome hurries to Barkjohn and the fallen Feldo. Barkjohn tells him to save his medicine for the living. His son has moved on to the silent forest. And like here we go with the silent forest again not the dark forest but the silent forest um oh wait hold on we okay. we forgot to do this thing hey. remember when i was like we should both yell feldo but do it like we're yelling rufio <laughs> it's like feldio <laughs> you don't have to do it feldo feldo <laughs> Brome, anyway, sorry. that's okay. That's our tribute to Fel- Feldo, y'all. Uh, <laughs> Brome weeps for his lost friend. He was awed at the sight of Feldo fighting and laughing until the end. And Barkjohn nods in understanding. Such was the way of his son, a true warrior at heart. The javelins and slings take turns firing to help keep the fortress archers pinned down. Crosstooth is smart enough to take command ordering 50 beasts to go out back and go east and west across the fort, around the fort. The Fern Freedom Fighters will be trapped then with no retreat except into the sea. They'll have to surrender or die. In the longhouse, Badrang is treated for his many bruises and welts and scratches. Clog gleefully dances a jig and mocks him. It hadn't been an army that did this to Badrang. Oh no, just one squirrel. Badring orders him to leave, and when Clog mocks him a little more, threatens to rise and pull his sword on him. Scampering now, Clog decides to raid the larder. Why not? Everyone else is fighting. Clog's having a good time. He is. He's just like, <laughs> he is gloating, and I love it. Um, Balog, he deserves it. He does. Yeah, he's an absolute scumbag, but he's making another scumbag miserable. I'm okay with this. (laughs) It's like watching two jerks fight. It's like, you don't care who wins. You're just having fun watching them fight. Like a certain big corporation. Disney versus DeSantis. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want Disney to win. I want DeSantis to lose. Balaw gets an arrow through the paw, but as quick as he's to complain, Brome is there to bandage it. Balaw praises him. Brom doesn't respond, hurrying off to help the next injured beast. And I don't know if this is just because I've been friends with Joseph for too long and I'm infected with his World War I brain rot, but all I can see is Brom as like, you know, the scared medic scurrying through the trenches, 
like they're a kid in a place they shouldn't be, but they're just doing their best to help keep others alive. Like mm-hmm. the the I don't know why, but like this last chunk of the book feels like there are so many World War One, like even if accidental allegories here. Like, I don't know if it's just me, but it really feels like he was pulling upon, like, World War I experience somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, come noon, there's a brief lull as food and water are passed about. The roasted players make light of the situation, taking talking of dire things in small jokes and jests. Yarrow comments on this. Yarrow. Yarrow comments on this. Don't they know it's fight for their lives? Balaw counters. What would Yarl have them do? Lay down and cry? Yarl gets the point and joins in. And I like this. Again, it's like Brian pointing out, like, sometimes when you're in a really crappy situation, the only thing you can do is make light of it and make jokes. Like, what else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. It's uh, gallows humor, you know? Sometimes you just gotta, you gotta do what you can do. With the time you've got left. Better to laugh than to cry at the end, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. Badrang decides to try and parlay with the fighters on the beach. He enlists a rat named Nipwort. Parlay. Parlay. Parley. 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 Air quote. No, no. Air oh. quotes. Parlay. parlay. Yeah. It is parlay, by the way. Yeah. Um, okay. But me... just air quotes, because that's not a parlay. That's a surrender or die. Yeah. Surrender now. And only some of you will die. (laughs) He enlists a rat named Nipwort to speak for him since he's still too sore from the beating Feldo gave him to want to try yelling. Like his jaw hurts too bad for him to try to yell. (laughs) Nipwort does as he's told. And of course the attempt fails when Badring refuses to give any real terms other than surrender and live or fight and die. Nipwort is... Nipwort is laid out cold by a slung stone as the fighting rekindles. Badrang gives orders to kindle arrows of their own to burn the cart down and flush them into the open. I want to know what kind of wood this cart was built from. Um, Martin and Co- Something sturdy but old. Right. Old iron sides over here. Um, <laughs> Martin and company make it to the Broadstream in good time to find Starwart and his crew of otters ready to go. He shows off his sling, winking and implying he was more than ready to help with the fight. They also see the arrival of a large group of shrews who are ready to fight as well. Though when Baldred asks what they're doing here, we learn that Starward has used reverse psychology on them. <sighs> I don't like how the shrews are being portrayed in this book. No. Like we told them they couldn't come so they would follow us because they don't listen to every to anyone. Like what the fuck is this shit? Right? What is this? What is up with Brian and shrews in this book? Yeah. He's just... Uh, he Maybe he got bit by a shrew or something and he was taking <laughs> it out on him. I don't know. Um, like, I don't understand because in the past, like, the shrews that we've seen, yeah, they've bickered and been, like, fighty, but they haven't been like this. You, you they could don't say, get any names. You could say, Izzy, that the previous books, they were more shrewd. I'm leaving. I'm divorcing you. I am leaving. I can't believe we found the episode title and we're not even halfway through the recording. I'm murder. I 
so he forbade them from following, so of course they followed. With one last jesting holler at the shrews to stay put, he has his otters push out into stream. And I mean, like, okay, to be fair, sometimes you do have that one friend who is so contrary. You just kind of have to tell him, like, fine, don't do it then. You, you have to Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny it, you know? Maybe maybe that's kind of what he was going for, like more of a Daffy Duck, Bugs Bunny, duck season, rabbit season situation. Mm-hmm. Martin said it. Martin stays at the bow of the otter boat as if staring hard alone could will the boat faster. Baldry comes to console him. Consult. Sorry. That's okay. I'm the one who has to edit this anyway. Uh, Baldry comes to console him. He wishes he'd never gone to Noonvale. If he had stayed, maybe things could have been different. Basically, meaning, I don't think it would have. Yeah, like meaning if he'd stayed at Marshank. But Baldry points out that it is true. Things could have been different. He could have stayed and died. Now he has an army behind him. And she's ensured that he will have even more coming to fight alongside him. He apologizes, not wanting to seem ungrateful for the hard work she's done. Because he kind of has a moment of like, oh, crap, I sound like really whiny here. Because like he doesn't want her to think that you know, he's not appreciating the work the others are putting in. Yeah. And Baldred brushes the apology away. It's only natural he worries for his friends. Now, instead of now instead of worrying about what ifs, he needs to focus on what he will do next. Which is such a good bit that's just like... We see him use that advice in Moss Flower. We see that. Mm-hmm. Like... He does not worry about what he what he could have done. He doesn't worry about what ifs. What if he had done this? What if he had done that? He focuses on what he can do, what he will do next. Because what has already happened has happened. And I love that we get this, like, yeah, in some ways we could argue that this is us being told instead of shown. But the way that it's done with Baldred, because she is a very, like, smart owl she's a smart bird she knows and she has seen things and she has to deal with the god tribe all the fucking time like and i mean sometimes is getting sometimes telling is okay Mm -hmm. like you can't like writing rules are more like guidelines she opened the door yeah exactly you know We, we can talk about the. Like, I'm seeing a lot of writing discourse on Tumblr. Oh lately. man, not just that. But like, I went to watch a reviewer. Like Izzy knows about this, but I went to watch a reviewer a few days ago. And at first, oh, it started God. out like I'm like, all right, yeah, cool, we're gonna like watch this gal rip apart an industry plant. This is gonna be fun. But then like, she started ripping more into the writing than like how crappy the gal situation was. And it's like, oh, oh no. And she's like, yeah, like, she's using all these words that are just so stereotypical. And then she's doing this and she's doing that. And I'm just like, oh, you're just, you're just a mean person, aren't you? And like, literally halfway through the episode, there's a scene where you like, you can hear a kid in the background. She goes, oh, my three-year-old, my three-year-old is home. Kill me. I'm like, you've got a kid? And you're ripping into a young adult book? Come on, lady. Like, as much as Izzy and I criticize... We're still having fun and we'll still praise too. You know, we know it's ridiculous what we're doing. We're not mad at at these books on such an intrinsic level that we become like awful. Yeah. We're just 
there there are ways to look at these books through a modern lens in which we know like hey this bit didn't age well but we're also aware that like brian was writing for the times he was writing what he wanted to write and he was writing what at the time was honestly in a lot of ways pretty progressive yep all the good female characters yep okay anyway (sighs) despite the fact that they're all animals yeah sometimes (laughs) sometimes telling is okay yes sometimes she just opens the door and what she needs to do next is leave so she can launch more of her plans to help (laughs) meaning boldred with a flap and a wish for luck for them both she leaves she like doesn't tell what she's doing. Like this is a, she's just like, all right, now I gotta go. I will catch up with you later. Yeah. Bye. And it's just like, where is she going? We don't know. Where is she, she where she's going is to uh, gather people. It's great. Boldred is great. I love Boldred. Uh, Marigold. She's not my wife. She's already married, <laughs> but I love her. Marigold, Star Wars wife, ushers Martin aside to pull out a large drum. Beating on it with her tail summons up more critters to help. This time, a boat of otters and hedgehogs. They're led by a fierce lady hedgehog named Gulba. She tries friendly. <laughs> she trades friendly banter and asks who and what's the fighting about. Like she's just ready to go. She shows up. Yeah, she's like, she's Where's the fight? so ready to go. <laughs> Uh, she and her her much much smaller husband. Like she's huge and she's a tiny husband. Who is also ready to fight? I love him. <laughs> Starwart tells her it's to take out Marshank. Gulba is more than game, knowing it'd only be a matter of time before he came poking into their territory to enslave them all. Enslave. <laughs> by dawn, they've been joined by many more boats and tribes of the local woods beasts. Even squirrels and mice pace along the broad stream, like they're just jogging along, keeping track with the boats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they are running alongside the stream, keeping up with them. And it is it is honestly the way like we don't get a whole lot of like big description, but the way that like it is described, you can see it in your mind's eye. All of these boats, all of these creatures heading to fight. And it is it has big Lord of the Rings vibes. Like it, it doesn't it it, it it's Nothing like this happened specifically in Lord of the Rings, but the way that it is done feels very Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. in a way that's good. Brian yeah. was definitely inspired by Lord of the Rings in many ways, and but when he utilizes that inspiration, it's not like how a lot of modern uh, writings utilize the inspiration where it's very like obvious and it, it doesn't understand what it's referencing mm-hmm. whereas Brian understands what he is pulling from. Yeah. That's more writing discourse that's been happening lately. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes it's a case of like the inspiration has become so filtered through an iteration and iteration and iteration people lose the original. Like well, what was and there's the also, foundation? Did you see the the Hot Ones interview with Matt Damon I reblogged on Tumblr? No! 
I will have to send you that because he talks about how films used to be made and you could just make them because even if you didn't make money back at the box office, you'd make them back from like DVD sales, mm -hmm. right? But because of streaming, like DVD sales have just absolutely just stopped basically. And so you have to make the money back at the box office. So a lot of films are just being made in a way where they know that they're going to be able to make it back at the box office and it's not going to be a gamble. You're not getting cult classics. And when you try to get people who are trying to make quote unquote cult classics, it's not being done properly because it's more on the, the vibes of like legacy stuff. It's how a lot of like our, our modern superhero movies are just not good. No, like because I, because they're, I stopped watching Marvel, like, after Thor Ragnarok. Like, I just don't care anymore. Yeah. And I feel bad because, like, like, I'm so burnt out that, like, I don't even watch, like, I don't want to watch Into the Spider-Verse. Like, I absolutely will watch clips of the animation because I love the animation. But I just, I don't care about superheroes anymore. I'm so done with them. Like, yes, the story's yeah. good. I know on an intrinsic me, level, I know the story's good, but I don't want to watch it. Yeah, let me find the post to send it to you because it, it's got a really good like bit of like conversation in the bottom from somebody about this where it's a lot of people are focusing on the legacy but what they're referencing they don't understand why they're referencing it they don't understand what they're trying to make they're trying to make that hit cult classic but you can't do that. Yeah. yeah. Without understanding why these movies are, are cult classics. Like, like uh, Johnny Mnemonic, it arguably did... Ter it, I say arguably. It did terrible at the box office. It was not well received in theaters. But it is a cult classic. And, like, I've never seen Johnny Mnemonic, but I know for a fact... I have done things with my writing and storytelling that reference Johnny Mnemonic because it is such a cult classic that a lot of things come from. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And people try to make the next Johnny Mnemonic, but they can't because they can't let it flop at the box office. People are And so you don't get these goofy, ridiculous movies anymore. You get... You get... You you get uh uh uh, it, it's a cotton candy. Mm -hmm. They're cotton candy movies. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not good. It's not good for media. It's not good for people's media literacy either. It is in fact really bad. Yeah. Oh, there's also been discourse on Tumblr about people just not having media literacy, which is extremely funny. Oh, well, they, they don't. Yeah. Yeah, they don't. They don't they have don't. any media literacy. We arguably have okay media literacy. Yeah, because like, I'm not, a we're not professional reviewers. We're not people who do this no. for a living. We are casuals no. who have fun, who just we enjoy We didn't go different... to school for this. I'm sorry, but my friend Shay is currently screaming at me because they are stuck in a part of Tears of the Kingdom. They're like, I can't get out. I'm like, where are you? They're like, I'm in a hole. I'm like, use the ceiling F. trick. And they're like, I can't. F. It's a hole. F. They're like, who put the death trap here? I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just F. laughing at him because they're screaming. And all guys like, he's just like, I'm stuck. It's horrible. I'm just like, I'm sorry, dude. You're on your own. F in chat. Okay. Starwork calls out a heads up as they get closer to the outlet. The outlet turns out to be Bad Rapids. 
The four friends are terrified, but the otter couple face them with wild joy. Like, basically, it's where the river meets the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, they make it oh, I out... I have cued this. <laughs> they make it out to the other side. Gulba's craft lands as well. And then two shrew boats crash through. Like, literally crash. When Gulba goes to scold them, two more shrew boats shoot clean over her head and the other crafts. <laughs> the shrew's hollering at her to mind her own dang boat. Like she's like, you guys need to slow down. There is like they're selling over. They're like, screw you. We know what the fuck are you? Yeah. We do what we want. Yeah. (laughs) I want to do what I want. (laughs) Rose thanks the otter pair as the flotilla is sorted out and put underway again, saying, surely only their experience and practice in such a situation was what got them through. Marigold bows and thanks her. After all, that had only been their first time through the rapids. Poor Grum faints outright. Yeah, they were like, oh man, I'm so glad you were doing this. And they're like, thanks, it's the first time we've done that. And everybody's just like, oh God. Starward <laughs> informs Martin that their next stop is Bad Rang, basically Marshank. And Martin reaffirms his promise he's coming for Bad Rang. The same bright morning sees the Fur and Freedom fighters hanging on behind a burned and battered bulwark of a cart. Somehow, it still stands. Their javelin supplies are used up, except one's held back for hand-to-hand combat. Basically, every person has one more javelin. Roanoke and Bala exchange words. She asks for a report, and all he can say is that the weather should be fine again today. She muses if Baldred had ever reached Martin, and Bala supposes not. So the pair promise to give their best final show. Groot and Buckler return arrow fire to Marshank, keeping track of kills with little marks in the sand. I, I love this trope so much. It's such a good trope. Just like you're in a dire situation, you're facing an overwhelming horde, so what do you do? You just keep count of how many you've killed. <laughs> Uh, that still only counts as one Um, Groot laments that if all else fails at least the kids will be safe he does wish he could have seen Fuffle grow up though but Buckler encourages him to not give up hope and I love this soft gentle moment between characters like they're in what they think is a do or die situation they are not getting out of this but even knowing this even knowing they are doomed there is still that glimmer of hope. We're still alive. We are still here. Don't go writing your epitaph yet. You are still breathing. You still have hope. In Marshank, Badring enjoys a pleasant breakfast. Bog reports to him that the cart is down to ashes and splinters. One last good push should do it in. Badring orders the horn made ready. When asked if he's launching the final push, he says, no, why should they? They're safe in the fortress with plenty of food and drink. Why waste more beasts when they can keep whittling them down easily? Besides, they might be able to save a few slaves. He orders to have Boggs ask if they want to surrender again. Clog, digging graves in a corner, calls Badring out. Always wanted to drag things out, never going for a clean kill. No, he liked watching creatures suffer. And I'm so upset with what happens to Clog later because he's my favorite character in this book. 
It's He's so good. It's fascinating seeing how Brian uses him because like he's a villain. He can say what he wants. He can be as mean as he wants. And he understands bad rang in a way the heroes never could. And it's so much fun seeing them snipe at each other about the flaws, you know, that each other has. Bad Ring? Oh. And maybe Bad Ring is scared. If he goes outside, they'd actually put up a good fight. Bad Ring tries to get a rise out of Clog by offering, then denying him a drink, while mocking him for being below even a worm. Clog simply chuckles. He'd never been a high and mighty like Bad Ring. He'll just keep burying Bad Ring's dead. And just, uh, I'm so upset with what happens to Clog later on. It's so unfair. Yeah. I dislike it because like, like, yeah, he gets to survive, but at what cost? <laughs> Nipwort once more asks if they want to surrender. He's given several resounding and insulting no's for his trouble and another slung stone to his still bandaged head. This one knocking him clean to the courtyard. Nipwort should be dead. <laughs> I mean, like, isn't it implied he's dead or is he just unconscious? I think he's just unconscious. Yeah, it's like Badring, like, shoves his body aside, like, whatever. Like, this poor rat. <laughs> I just, I want Nipwort to survive because he's just... <laughs> this poor guy, this poor Monty Python bullshit levels of slapstick. <laughs> Badring has little sympathy for the poor, passed out, twice bludgeoned Nipwort. He orders the arrow fire doubled, and he'll make it seem like it was raining arrows. The fighters use more sand to build up the crumbling cart. Behind it, Brom bandages Kayla's injured tail, and Brom admits he's out of supplies. It's down to fighting and bravery now. Come noon, they pass out the last of the food and the water. They know it's time for one last stand, and they can tell the vermin are getting ready for a charge of their own. So Balog gets up, makes a little speech, and they prepare themselves as the gate of the fortress opens and the horde spills out towards them. Balog is like, I'm not one for speeches, and everybody's like, that's bullshit. Yeah, like, I, oh, no, like then make it short for a change. <laughs> he, he gets teased. It's real good. It's a good small moment of levity before like you have the assumed oh this very small contingent is going to die yeah it's very much built up that we know they aren't getting out of here mm -hmm. until until because on the shore just a hilltop away martin and company land he crests the hill and stops the High Beast Shrews, the Warden of Marshank Hill, and the God Tribe have all gathered to join the fight. With all the other beasts he's gathered, he now has a true army to fight the fortress. A the Warden is there with, like, he's shepherding the God Tribe to make sure they don't do some fuck shit. Yeah. You know that Boldred had to be like, okay, please. Like, I'm, please, can you do this? Please. I'm sorry, but, like, the God Tribe are straight up just the Howlers at this point. Yeah. They're just the howlers. They have no concept of, you know, right or wrong. They're just... Like I said, they're, they're the reverse. Yeah. Okay. Um, H... <laughs> I just... I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm imagining that conversation Boldred had with the warden. Like, I know that you do not... That you don't take jurisdiction over my little idiots. I know. But can you please do this? Please. Mm -hmm. 
please. Okay. A change comes over Martin. The rise of fighting blood in him, making him fierce. He points the shrew blade towards Marshank and bellows out a charge. Rose recalls her first time seeing Martin as she swept along in the charge, the figure of a defiant mouse calling out his promise of revenge. And Brian's like shaking her up here. She's not going to be able to change him. She's seeing what he really is and that, you know, she's not going to be able to tame him. Hold on. I want to. You want to read it? I do. Okay. We find it. Yeah. They went in a rush like a giant tidal wave covering the land, but none was more fleet of paw than the Mouse Martin. He was out in front, teeth bared, sword still pointing as he tore through dune and foothill. Rose was swept along in the midst of the howling horde with Palam and Grum. Now and then, through the forest of spears, lances, and swords, she could see him a lone figure ahead of the rest. Her heart went out to him as she remembered her first sight of him, bound between two posts, left to die on Marshank's walls, and recalled the words he had shouted into the stormy night. Now she heard those words as in a dream. I am a warrior, Martin, son of Luke. I will live. I will not give in and die up here. Do you hear me, Badrang? I will live to take my father's sword and slay you one day. Badrang! Like, holy shit. Yeah. The Fern Freedom Fighters launch arrows and slung stones at the advancing horde. It doesn't stop the charge, though, and they're forced back bit by bit towards the sea. Badrang watches smugly. He's sure they'll pick. they'll still pick up a few slaves once they're up against the water. Boggs wonders why he's hearing thunder when the sky is clear. Badring turns to scold him. Boggs then turns towards the sound, and the pair are frozen in terror from the sight of the army swarming towards them from the north. Badring barks orders out of reflex, bring the horde back in, get the archers over there. He'd hold the gate open as long as he could. Like, to give him credit, he jumps right back into action. Yeah. His his instant reflex is, okay, I need to get, I, I need to be doing orders. I need to be immediately planning for this new attack. Those ones on the shore are nothing compared to this. Yeah. We don't need to worry about them. Like, he's he's not a good person, but I think out of all the villains we've seen, Badring is probably the best leader because of how he mm -hmm. handles his men. He, he's one of the best leaders and one of the best tacticians. I think the only one who could really, I would say on the tactician front, rival him would be Sarmina to a degree. Mm. Because she is a okay tactician. I mean, she's better than some of the others. I mean, I'd say I would... Uh, but she, she lets a lot of her own, like, self-nonsense get in the way of it. I would say Clooney Clo is a better tactician than her, though. I think so, but Clooney lets his, like, both of them let their cruelty kind of, yeah, kind of dictate what they do. Yeah. Um, whereas Badrang is cruel, but he's not letting his cruelty dictate his tact, 
uh, his tactics. Okay. Fair um, enough. I don't know. There's there's a lot of like like nuance to our previous villains, except for Gabool. <laughs> yeah. There's Gabool. no nuance there. Gabool had no nuance. He was just straight up a uh, street rat crazy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. he, there's no nuance there, uh, but I do I do think that Batarang had Martin not been a factor, he would have taken over the seaside. Yes, Probably he would have taken chunk. over this whole country. Yeah. So the Fern Freedom Fighters are pushed into the surf just as the call to retreat reaches the horde. Bala Bala is baffled until he spots the army attacking the fort. He cheers. The fighters finish off the few horde beasts who've been left behind. Brome almost kills a rat until the rat calls out that it's Wolp. The rat Brome it's had Wolf, helped. Matey. Yeah. <laughs> the rat Brome had helped during his sneak back into Marshank. Brome spares him, whispering for him to stay still until it's clear. Then he is to run, and Brome never wants to see him again. Brome wishes him and good luck. It is an unfortunate. Uh, a thing about Brian's writing that my first thought was that as soon as Brome turned his back, Wolp was going to like kill him. Um, like that was like my first thought. Yeah. Uh, which is it? It, it is unfortunate because in a lot of the previous books, that is what would have happened. But no, uh, Wolp just Wolp gets away. We never see Wolp yeah. again in the book. I like to think that he just, like, ran off down the beach, found a nice little cave, and set up there like, you know what? No, I'm done. I'm good. I I, I like to think that he's the old sea rat who was, like, in that shack. Oh. Yeah. I mean, who, who, like, died. Yeah. Just, you know, peacefully died in his sleep or whatever. Yeah. Why not? That may not be true, but, you know, for right now it is. Time is wibbly wobbly in Redwall. We can just have it be our dream anyway. Yep. Uh he dies eventually, but he dies of old age. Yep. Brome joins the fight around the walls of Marshank then. As the various war cries rise up among, along with the arrows and slung stones, they hurl at the defenders. Badrang isn't discouraged. If anything, he feels his confidence returning as his horde looks to him to lead them in the battle. This is his true element. He sees this as their chance to truly rule the countryside. One fierce battle, and it's all theirs. Which, like, is true to a degree. I, again, if Martin wasn't here, I think he could have won. Yeah. I mean, like, the other defenders are smart enough, though. Like, Martin is one warrior, but he does come up with a few of the ideas with the help of the others, too. Yeah. He he is the head of the war council. I think if they hadn't had him, I think that it could have gone a different way. Like, they would have still had this war council, but they wouldn't have that uniting sort of looking to Martin as, like, the leader. Yeah. Because I don't think they would have had a leader in the same sense. Yeah. They probably would have looked to Roanoke because she's a badger, but Roanoke is, by her own admission, old. Yeah. And speaking of leaders, on a nearby hilltop, Boldred and the Warden wait their turn. It's not safe to attack now. They have to wait for nightfall so they won't be killed by arrow fire. These two massive fucking birds. Basically dragons. Yep. Rose is with them as Bala and the remaining Fern Freedom Fighters arrive. 
He says they'll take a break, being more tired than the fresh arrival of fighters. He's like, we're all tuckered out. We're going to take a break for a little bit. (laughs) We're going to sit here for a second and just... (sighs) He also muses that maybe they had better call the others back. There's no way they can break through the walls like that. Boldred agrees and starts to make plans. Bala is more than happy to hear her plans. He's just like, you're so great. I love you. I think... I think back into the point that I just made, Bala would have probably also been the leader because yes. he does have very, he's, he is a good tactician. He's a hare. They're good tacticians. And I still, just in general. Yeah. And I still actually like Bala. Even if he is a bit of a shit, he is better than most of the hares Way because he's not a salamandrastron yeah. hare. Um, and, and he's not a, he's not exactly a bard like some of the other hares we've gotten either. He's an actor, but he's not a, bard there is a difference here he, he is a bard in the way that william shakespeare is a bard yes he's the bard <laughs> it takes rose arriving at the gates of marshank to deflect martin's battle rage he doesn't want her there in the thick of battle and she convinces him that they have to retreat to make a plan like yeah martin is just like going at it like just absolutely fucking trying to fuck up the door with his sword literal tooth and nail yeah, he is just going at it, and it takes Rose, like, arriving there for that, like, red mist to clear enough from his eyes for him to understand we need to retreat and make an actual plan. They've retreated into the, the fortress. They can pull back and make a real plan. on social media you can follow us on tumblr and reddit at abby archives and if you would like to help support this podcast you can find us on coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash hs enclave this podcast is part of hearthside enclave and some other shows you might like are hope's hearth a solar hope punk actual play podcast and post-apocalyptic news radio a fallout inspired audio drama